It's a roller coaster of an episode today as we discuss two very different topics the Mari Island incident and the Kirtland cult. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another amazing episode of the Hometown Haunts podcast. I am your host, Kat Loco, and along with me on this exploration into the unknown are my friends, Jen and Christina. Hi, everyone. Uh, let's see. You can stay up to date with our show by following us at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities. That's C-I-N-C-Y Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram and join our Facebook group, Hometown Haunts. We're dying to hear about your personal encounters with the paranormal and fringe history from your neck of the woods. You could send that your stories over to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com or join the aforementioned Facebook group, Hometown Haunts, and share it there. And we will read those stories on this show. We really love hearing stories. I got a few when I was at CXC this past weekend, but we can talk about it in a minute. Also, that little wailing that sounds like a sad Wookiee is my dog Yeti because he is whining at me. So he'll be our fourth host, I think, tonight. You can find our podcast on Apple, Apple Podcasts and on Spotify and watch our show feed on YouTube. Just find us by searching Hometown Haunts on the podcast search. Please take a moment to rate and review us on those platforms so other spooky lovers just like yourself can find the show. Link in the show notes. And we're switching things up a bit this season with two of us presenting shorter stories of the strange and spooky along with our listener stories. So you don't have to hear me monologue for 40 minutes straight because who wants to do that? I guess everyone else did for the past three seasons where we're trying this. It'll be fun. So tonight it is myself and Jen and we're going to be presenting stories and they are vastly different in topic. It'll be fun. So for tonight's show, we are going to be talking about the Maury Island incident and the Kirtland cult with Jen. So stay tuned for that. We got some show announcements before we move on into those topics. Friday, October 13th, my pod, my old, old webtoon comes back to webtoon. It's called Spiritus Maximus. It is a post-apocalyptic monster comic. And uh, it's been on hiatus for four years because no one wanted to read a post-apocalyptic monster comic during COVID. <laughs> no. So, um, yeah, the readership died very quickly once all that was going on. So I put it on hiatus. So it comes back Friday, October 13th. It, you can read it for free on Webtoon. Also on October 14th from 6.30 to 8 p.m., there is a Ghost Stories event in Haunted Walk with Christina and Jen at the Washington Circleville parks district at the canard nature nook and we'll have more information up on our uh, on the show notes and also online but there are a few spots left that people can sign up for so it will be fun um i have also been helping with getting the stories together so everyone needs to cheer jen on yay jen yay jen <laughs> yay, yay christina <laughs> Christina, you're doing live art during Jen's stories, and then you're yes. telling some stories as well. Yes, true. Yes, I am, and I'm excited. It should be fun. Yes. Yes. And yeah. 
it, it will be fun. It will. There be will be time. dramatic interpretations of the story. Are you going to do interpretive dance? Uh, maybe, Absolutely maybe. Not. I mean, you never know when interpretive dance will break out. Um, you know, anything's possible. Do interpretive dance <laughs> with ribbon dancing and like some ghost story. I'll be very <laughs> stiff, standing up there, not looking at anybody. <laughs> Public well, thinking is not my favorite. <laughs> I, I'm excited because some of the stories like about Victoria Theater and, and that sort of thing, I, I mean, I didn't know that was haunted, so I'm excited. Yeah, yeah I, I did add some new stories that are ghost stories that I found, thanks to our friend James Willis, a haunted history author and author of Weird Ohio, plus so many others, gave me some tips of places. And... Uh, Speaking of other live events where people can listen to us speak, October 28th at the Lane Library in was it Fairfield, just mm -hmm. outside of Cincinnati, we are doing a Hometown Haunts Live. And I will be the big giant head being broadcast behind Christina and Jen. <laughs> so it will be all three of us. It'll just Yay. be like a live taping of this podcast. I, that'll be really exciting. Yeah. It's a nice way to sit. And, and, we, and I'm not promising anything, but we might have some costume bits. <gasps> mm, I like that. An interpretive dance. We might be in our witchiest looks. Yay. Yeah, that will be I really I have fun. to dress up now. <laughs> I'll dress up. Maybe. We need to be the Sanderson sisters. Oh, yes. Fun. That's what we'll need to be. And also, our last event to announce is in 2024, on March 2nd, there is the second annual Frogman Festival in Loveland, Ohio, and we will be there. So, yay! That will be a fun event. Uh, it was wonderful meeting so many listeners last year that came by the table and went, hey, I listened to this podcast, and wow, you sound exactly like you do on the podcast. <laughs> And then also, wow, Kat, oh, you're way shorter than I thought you were. So um, that was wonderful. But <laughs> that is my heater kicking on. Huh? Uh, well, um, it's, it's at any rate, there. we've got so many random sounds. I'm sorry, everyone. So yeah, um, Frogman Festival is going to be at the Oasis Conference Center in Loveland, Ohio. You can find more information at frogmanfestival.org. So we, we had a lot of fun with that. And then... Our, a fun, fun announcement is congratulations to the Hopewell Ceremonial Earthworks on becoming a UNESCO World Heritage, Heritage Site. The United Nations Edu Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization gives the designation to places deemed of universal importance and value to humankind. In Ohio, that has been placed on the Hopewell Ceremonial Earthquake earthworks such as Fort Ancient in the Southwest community of Oregon and the Hopewell Cultural National Historical Park in Chillicothe, which are two great locations. Christina, if you've not sketched there, please go do that and go say hello to the East Oklahoma Cherokee Nation who actually run those places. They are part of the earthwork net network of eight sites that span the state of Ohio, and there are some earthworks that are outside of Ohio. A weird connection to this Chewy was designated a United States Bark Ranger at the Hopewell Cultural National Historic Park in 2021. Yes, I have photos. I was very proud of the fact that he had been to enough national forests and parks that they gave him his own patch. And I oh. actually have it right here. <laughs> so, That's um, I haven't really sewn cool. it onto his uh, vest yet, 
but um yeah it oh, it's that's so cute each one of them's a different design and uh yeah it's a bark ranger bark ranger oh because he's it. a good ambassador for dog kind at all the national parks yeah. oh i i'm definitely interested in sketching there i'll have to check it out i know there's certain um you know native american sites where they don't like you to sketch there in honor of you know their mm -hmm. history so i'll have to look into that and see for example like when we go to taos like taos pueblo it's okay if you sketch there they don't like you to post pictures and they don't like you to like post pictures of it which is interesting you know to preserve their culture and mm -hmm. that makes there. sense yeah. yeah so yeah double check i guess before you go mm -hmm. and then also fun Patagonia, just a little bit away from fort ancient there is a hunted covered bridge. Oh. So uh, that one will be that I've been there. It is actually not exactly the safest place to get out of your car and walk around. But uh, it does have a haunted spooky ghost story associated with it. And it's one of the older covered bridges in the area. So. Is it a crying bridge or? I think it is one of the crying bridges that James has been researching. So it's a little out of the way. But if you're going to Fort Ancient, you are definitely going out of the way anyway. So definitely. So the sketch the sketch the bridge and visit sketch the, the bridge and enjoy Fort Ancient. Exactly. That sounds like the perfect way to spend the day. Yes. <laughs> so on to tonight's first topic: the Murray Island incident. Have you ever heard of the Murray Island incident? No. no? Nope. I had heard about it only in passing when reading about Roswell. And any of the other UFO um, experiences that people had. And I never really read that deeply into this particular incident, which turns out to be the first modern UFO sighting in US history. So let's wow. see. Uh, there is a trigger warning for pet death. It is, I will not go deep into it, but pets do die in this. And uh, a lot of surprising deaths associated with this incident so i will note for all of our listeners that this one is between this story and the cult story following listener discretion advised make sure the littlest ears are not listening so okay sources for this article are southside.com wikipedia ufo ufo hunters season one episode one the maury island alien encounter the Vashon Mori Island Beachcomber newspaper and KIRO7 in Seattle. On Seattle's south side lies the town of Des Moines, or Des Moines, Washington, where one week before the infamous Roswell UFO was sighted, two men had their own encounter with something out of this world. Tonight, I am talking about the 1947 Maury Island incident in Washington's Puget Sound, the case that sparked the worldwide UFO craze. It is the early morning of June 21st, 1947, when Harold Dahl, his son Charles, and Sparky the family dog pick up two crewmen on the docks of Tacoma, Washington, and head out towards Maury Island on the North Queen, Harold's boat, to pick up logs. Why are they picking up logs? Well, Dahl and his boss, Fred Crisman, were contract workers with the port of Tacoma to round out up logs that had broken loose from log rafts going to lumber plants in Tacoma. So, never really thought about that being a job until I moved out here. And yes, that, that is a thing that people do. Not like the way they do it back then, though. So, 
As they make their way through the waves around 2 p.m., Harold notices six huge flying disks in the sky 100 feet across, hollow-shaped like donuts. One of these disks look like a, looks like it is falling, and then there is an explosion, and all sorts of molten hot debris described as slag falls from the sky. It basically goes all over their boat into the ocean and is just... It, basically coming out of the center of the donut. So ufologists have speculated that this is something that had to do with the components of how this particular UFO worked. And they decided to um, just dump their contents on top of the boat. It kind of reminds me of when the, the rock band dumped its contents of their bus onto a boat in Chicago. About Dave Matthews. Ago. Yeah, the Dave Matthews band incident. They got Dave Matthews basically on this boat, but the slag is not waste. It is described to be hot, molten, almost lava-esque discs that are raining down on them. So uh, the boat is damaged from the debris. Charles's arm is burned, and in some accounts, it is reported to be broken. And it also kills Sparky. One of these things falls on him and kills him. The incident scares the men so much that Harold runs the North Queen aground on the closest island or bit of land, which is Moray Island, located seven miles north of Tacoma. And the group takes cover under the cliffs until the UFOs disappear. And it looks like, by their account, the UFO that was having trouble, like basically engine troubles, managed to, after dumping all the slag into the Puget Sound, regains flight and takes off with the rest of the UFO donuts. While at home the next day, the dolls are confronted by the men in black. The men in black, who had arrived in a brand new black Buick, stated that they knew what Harold and Charles had witnessed the day before and warned them not to speak of what they had witnessed or bad things would happen. Harold's account is the first modern reference of the Men in Black encounter. Fred Chrisman investigated Dahl's story after hearing it, which had become talk of Tacoma after they had reached the port the previous day. Chrisman would later report finding more debris around Maury Island and have seen a UFO in the sky around the same area. On June 24, 1947, private pilot Kenneth Arnold, excuse you, Mickey, claims to have witnessed a string of nine shiny UFOs flying past Mount Rainier at speeds over 1,200 miles per hour, or 1,932 kilometers per hour. Because Arnold was an experienced pilot and a credible businessman, his report gained nationwide notoriety and led to the press coining the term flying saucer to de- describe the UFOs witnessed by him. Just 10 days after Arnold's report, his co-pilot, Captain E.J. Smith, along with a stewardess, reported witnessing UFOs in the Pacific Northwest. After Arnold's story became a sensation, let's try that one again. After Arnold's story became a sensation, he was contacted by Raymond A. Palmer, the editor of the science fiction magazine Amazing Stories. Palmer Palmer told Arnold of Dahl's experience encounters a few days earlier and Palmer requested Arnold to go investigate the doll encounter on July 28th. Palmer then wired Arnold $200 to fund the investigation. Any guesses on how much $200 is in today's money? 
It's $2,700 in today's money. So um, they really wanted this story and were willing to pay for like the room and board for Arnold to research this. Who had jurisdiction over the investigating the saucer sighting became competition between the director of the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover, and the U.S. Air Force, which was just brand new. The U.S. Air Force had just been formed in 1947, and it was tasked with investigating reports of UFOs with Project Sign, the precursor to Project Blue Book. It was unknown if it was the Soviets spying on the United States or something more extraterrestrial. The Army, or in, and in this case the U.S. Air Force, assigned two military intelligence officers to investigate the incident, and they were Captain William Davidson and Lieutenant Frank Brown of the 4th Air Force Hamilton Field in California. On July 31, 1947, the two intelligence officers flew to McCord Field in Tacoma in an Army surplus B-52 bomber. It was a Mitchell model. Captain Davidson and Lieutenant Brown interview Harold and take samples of the slag and record it in a manifest as top secret, then load it onto their cargo hold for the plane. An hour into their flight, in the early hours of August 1st, their plane exploded to an onboard fire centered at where the slag had been stored. Both Captain Davidson and Lieutenant Brown are killed when their plane crashes outside of Kelso, Washington, on their way back to California. And according to the season of UFO Hunters, two people managed to parachute out of that plane, which is why we have the story of how the fire on board happened. The next day, three leaked Telephone calls made from McCord claimed that the plane was carrying UFO material and had been intentionally shot down to hide the evidence. The, leaks the leaked calls caused a media uproar and spawned the claims that the government was hiding the truth about UFOs in a cover-up from the public. The story changes at this point. Uh, the FBI became involved in investigating both Chrisman and Dahl's reports of the UFOs decided that that was a hoax. Dahl was recorded saying, if questioned by authorities, he would he was going to say it was a hoax because he did not want to f any further trouble over the matter. However, Dahl now worried about more bad stuff happening to him, threatened and threatened to him by the men in black, retracts his entire story, not just because of the FBI got involved, and says it was all a hoax. However, by the time the story has even though he's retracting it and saying, no, I'm lying. I was just joshing with you all. The story had become way bigger than him and it grows into popular science fiction and fanning the flames of the flying saucer craze of the 1950s. The terms flying saucer and flying disc and men in black are all coined and created with this incident alone, forever changing the world of science fiction. Without the Maury Island incident, we wouldn't have the men in black series X-Files, Twin Peaks, or maybe even Star Trek. In 2023, it was revealed that Washington State has the second highest amount of UFO reports in the United States, only behind Vermont. I had no idea that I have moved to such a spectacularly active extraterrestrial state. I always thought it was New Mexico. And with that, that is my very brief story of the Maury Island incident. Okay, now I'm not going to come visit you. Thank you. <laughs> you, you make I, it I've, I've been in, while you've been talking, I've been enjoying all the really bad artwork that people have done of this incident. <laughs> yeah, it's it is 
I didn't realize it had so much impact culturally, which is one reason why I wanted to talk about it. Not just because it's in Washington, but because we just haven't talked about UFOs too often on this. Mm -hmm. And I think the only other time was the Norwood incident from 49. And uh, yeah, just it's a cultural impact. I, I had no idea that men in black were not a reported thing beforehand. Like, wow. And, and the description of them is the one that you see basically in the men in black franchise for the comics and the movie where uh -huh. it's men dressed in crisp black suits with black ties, white shirts, and then carrying the black briefcases and the black Buick and all that. That comes from Harold Dahl's encounter in wow. 1947. That's amazing. And then I, the amazing stories connection was interesting too, where he was going to pay the money mm -hmm. for the, any, any news about it. Very similar to the thing we I had just posted today that friend of the show, Amy had posted uh, about, about ring saying, if you get a, what a, a ufo if you get a, an extraterrestrial at your saw, shown on your ring doorbell that they will pay you a million dollars so everybody check that footage oh yeah and i, I think can... you need to get a ring doorbell do you have one cat oh yeah one, I've, I've had one for many years we have it set up here um right now it's only caught a curious raccoon and a squirrel <laughs> but um yeah, I, I was actually hoping I'd see Sasquatch first, but uh, yeah. Um, can you I, put trail cameras up too? I could. In your trees? It would just take photos of the dogs, though. Uh, well, you, you're kind of in an interesting location. I could picture it being a hive of activity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I will be honest. At night, I do, from my studio, what I have right behind this camera is a gigantic window. And I can see the sky just beyond it. And I do when I'm working really late at night. I look up at it and go, there has to be a UFO up there that I can't see. I just, there has to be one. It's, or when I'm outside with the dogs at night doing the last potty run, I just look up at the sky and I'm like, yeah, it's dark enough. I'm I'm far away. I, like, I say that I'm in Seattle, but I'm actually not. I'm far enough away. Uh, that it Seattle's light doesn't get to this house and I can see the stars really well. Awesome. And still have not seen Starlink though. Hmm, interesting. Still have not. But I guess now the term is UAPs. They're trying to rebrand. Yes. So I, I had made a little disclaimer note note saying, yes, I know it is now unidentified aerial phenomena. We we've used that before for the Norwood incident as well. It's just 1949, 49 in that case, 47 here, they used UFO and flying saucer, and these were brand new terms, and they were using them liberally everywhere. So, it's pretty um, hard to shake that branding. It is very hard. That is very good branding. So, I know for all of the UFO enthusiasts out there, I know I just did a bare bones version of this entire thing, and you're probably shouting at me like a ghost. <laughs> Like, ah, oh, no. But I, if you're interested in this, keep, there's more information. So, mm -hmm. all right. Mm -hmm. I am yeah. interested to hear about Jen's cult story because cults are not something I am very familiar with. I, not until recently did I start, like within the last couple year or two, going down that, that rabbit hole. And I try to watch as many as possible because it's just something... 
I don't know, just like with the murder stories, I just want to understand and you can never truly understand what makes people do what they do. So this one is, it's called the Kirtland, Ohio cult. And it's in Kirtland, Ohio, which is a small town east of Cleveland. And it takes place in 1989 to 1990. And tonight's sources are from Murderpedia. Um, and on the Murderpedia website, and a record or transcript of the direct appeal in 1993, State versus Lundgren, which is the cult leader. And also, if you want to watch more Deadly Cults, season one, episode two, this is featured and it's on Bravo. And I do have I, to find it, I find it funny that both of our things are like the first season, first and second episodes. Oh, oh that's funny. <laughs> yeah, they're just so well known. That, yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry. That's I don't okay. Mean to interrupt. Good. No, it's fine. Um, and uh, an article by, let's see, Benjamin H. Smith from um, oxygen.com, how Jeffrey Lundgren and the Kurt and the Kirtland cult executed a family of five in their own circle. Okay. I'm going to read from my paper because I, that's just me. So, uh, do, 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 do. also side note, Melonheads from Kirtland, Ohio. Yes. Yes. Which I believe we talked about. Yes. So Jeffrey Lundgren born March 30th, 1950. He was raised in the reorganized church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints RLDS. Um, in the early 1980s, Lundgren moved to Kirtland, Ohio from Missouri with his family and became a senior guide at the Kirtland Temple and taught classes on the Bible and the Book of Mormon. In 1987, he was fired from the temple for embezzling and evicted from his home, which was provided by the temple. But by this time, he had already started um, building his own following, following in church. And he ended up in a rented farm house um, after he was fired and he, where he lived with his family and about 20 or so of his followers lived there also. Wow. So he already made a compound as soon as he got fired from the Mormon uh -huh. church. Yeah. He started wow. building his following while he was still there. I think. Wow. Okay. Um, yes. Um, so. <laughs> Okay, he ready to move. Okay, group members signed over their paychecks to Lundgren and called him dad. Okay, no, now, no, I know. So, on the grand scale of things, this is a pretty small cult, but what they did was horrendous. So, uh, the Averys, uh, which is the family that is unfortunately unalived, um were a family from Missouri. They joined the group in 1987. It was the dad, Dennis Avery, 49, his wife, Cheryl, 46, and their daughters, Trina, 15, Rebecca, 13, and Karen, 7. The devotion of the Avery family wasn't enough for Lundgren. The Averys decided against living at the farm with the rest of the group and kept the proceeds of selling their house, of selling their Missouri home. Lundgren didn't like that. He wanted their money and he wanted to have them with him. So Lundgren's opinion of the Avery's were that Cheryl was too independent for a woman and then the kids were misbehaved and he had a general dislike for Dennis. By 1998, 
I'm sorry, 1988, Lundgren began preaching about the end of days and wearing military fatigues. He insisted the men of the group take up firearms training. His sermons sermons promised to bring his followers to a holy state of being called Zion and would witness the return of Jesus Christ. He decided the best way to achieve Zion was to take the the Kirtland Temple over by force on his 38th birthday. After a disgruntled follower reported the attack plans, the attack plans to the police, the whole the whole thing was called off. By 1989, Lundgren switched tactics, tactics, and decided the only way to reach Zion was by blood sacrifice. The group will achieve this by selling off all possessions, going into the wilderness, and with fire and with firearms and military training. The Averys, still devoted to the cause, decided to follow their prophet. But unknown to the family, Lundgren told the rest of his followers that the Averys were to be the blood sacrifice. By doing this, they would attain Zion and reach the promised land. Group members began to covertly dig a six by seven foot pit in the barn behind the house. On April 17, 1989, Lundgren invited the Averys to dinner at the farmhouse. After dinner, Lundgren made his way to the barn with his son, Damon, and followers Richard Brand, Ron Luff, Greg Winship, and Daniel Kraft, while the Averys stayed in the house. Lundgren directed Luff to bring the Averys out to the barn one by one. First, Dennis Avery, under the pretense of helping to prepare for the wilderness trip, was led to the barn. He was incapacitated with a stun gun, bound with duct tape, shot in the back, and dropped into the pit. Next, Cheryl Avery, stun gun, duct tape, shot, and into the pit. Then Trina Avery, 15 years old. Luff said they they were playing a game in the barn. Trina, Trina too, was bound with duct tape, shot, and dropped into the pit with her parents. Finally, Rebecca and Karen Avery, 13 and 7 years old, respectively, Luff offered to show them horses in the barn. Luff carried them to the pit, bound their hands and feet, and dropped them in with her dead parents and sister. Lundgren then shot them. After Lundgren shot and killed the family of five, live was poured over the bodies and the pit was filled in with rocks and dirt, then covered with old appliances and garbage. Coincidentally, the next day, the FBI visited the farm to investigate the group's plan to take over the temple. They didn't find the pit, though. And they had no idea this had just happened. Lundgren and his followers fled to West Virginia, where they continued military training while camping in the woods. After five months, the group the group left West Virginia after local authorities suspected them of being connected to the Kirkland Temple investigation. Lundgren and a few of his fo- followers landed in Missouri. In December 1989, Lundgren decided he needed to take a second wife. He set his sights on Katherine Johnson. Larry Keith Johnson, Catherine's husband, didn't approve of the, of the new union and decided to give the authorities in Kansas City, Missouri, a visit. Johnson, Johnson told the authorities where the Averys were buried in the barn. On January 7, 1990, Lundgren, his wife Alice, son Damon, and members Catherine Johnson and Daniel Kraft were arrested in a motel between San Diego and the Mexican border. Yes, they were fleeing. Uh, Lundgren's wife, son, and 10 other members of the group were indicted on charges related to the murder of the Avery family. Most pled guilty in cooperation with the prosecution in exchange for lighter sentences. 
On August 29th, 1990, Lundgren was found guilty on five counts of five counts each of aggravated murder and kidnapping. At his sentencing, a few weeks later, he was sentenced to death. On October 24, 2006, Jeffrey Lundgren was executed by lethal injection. I pared it down a lot. There's a lot of details missing, but they're kind of gruesome, and I didn't want to get too deep in, yeah. into that. Um, read more of it because it's, it's, a, it's a disturbing. Any cult is disturbing, but how you can get about 10... 10 to 20 people to follow along murdering a family of five is it's heinous. It's horrendous. That's a lot of brainwashing that is encountered. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, wow. It, it, yeah. It's just the massive cult killings are, they always are rat. They bother me a bit. Mm -hmm. I don't read a lot of cult stuff, but it's really scary. Just it is followers getting everyone to sign over their personal possessions over to them like yeah this is yeah. the best use of my money this is where it needs to go mm -hmm. and then whenever people get into the end of days talk it's it's just like no it, it yeah i don't because they say it can happen to anybody mm -hmm. um i'd like to think it wouldn't happen to me but who knows uh even like with the nexium uh mm -hmm. cult that happened recently you know, that all started with, you know, bettering yourself and going through these classes to just to be a better person. And so it's a slippery slope. And um, and I think like in the 70s, it was all very religious, religion based. And people were still looking for that. Um, that spiritual connection to the world, whether it was God or nature or space aliens you know they were looking for deeper meaning and these leaders just got under their skin and convinced them and by the time they may have realized what was going on it like with jonestown it was too late for them to get out they were basically held prisoner but then cults like heaven's gate they fully believed in what they were doing and mm. uh and that heaven's gate is super sad. That one's super sad to me. Yeah, because... I remember that one on the news. That was that yeah. and Waco were the first mm -hmm. two cults that I remember entering the zeitgeist into. And Waco yeah. was terrible because you had all those families that died. Mm -hmm. And then um, Heaven's Gate was scary to a young cat because these were people that were all dressing the same and. Mm -hmm. Uh, decided to pass away at, during Haley's Comet when it passed by. Yeah. And um, I remember seeing the video footage of everyone's feet and their shoes mm -hmm. peeking out from underneath the blankets. Yeah. So that 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 haunts me. That that's a, that was a it, haunting image. If you watch any of the documentaries on Heaven's Gate, they do show video of some of the members saying don't worry about us. We're happy. We're going to a better place. We want to do this. This is what we're here to do. And don't worry about us. We're happy. Mm -hmm. And you just can't, I mean, they didn't suffer in but their it, minds, mm -hmm. right. you know? So 
I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I I'm feel like, bad for all the families who yeah. have had members go into cults. The deprogramming for cults is very tricky. Mm -hmm. And psychiatrists and psychologists are still trying to find uh, ways for it to be more effective. Yeah. And uh, learning the signs and stuff like yeah. that. But I, my heart goes out to all the family members who have lost people in cults. And yeah. there are so many. And most of them are really small. And they don't usually get as scary with with murderous intent as even the one that uh, yeah. you just brought up. But they still are super controlling. They keep yeah. people from being able to see their families. Mm -hmm. And it's always these really charismatic leaders. <laughs> and, and I don't think he was, though. He must have been scary. There had to be a reason why 20 people yeah. would follow this man. But not as, like, he, he wasn't quite programming getting from... there, though. Hmm? Like, he tried to take on his second wife, and that didn't really work out. <laughs> you no. know, it just, or maybe it would have eventually had it gotten further down the line. Who knows? Maybe he, not that I'm supporting polygamy here, because I'm not. Right. No. But choosing another man's wife, somebody else's partner, mm -hmm. to be your new partner may not have been the wisest choice. Well, um, I think he thought he had more control than he did. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. It, that's all speculation at this point. This man yes. has said for a yes. while. But, um, yeah, it, it's... Ooh, cults bother me. They're chilling in a very different way than ghost stories. Yeah. The one right now that really scares me and I, I put off watching the, the Shiny Happy People documentary. Mm -hmm. I watched it and I was just like, oh, oh no. Oh no. Oh. We're, we're in for trouble with that one, I think. Yes. <laughs> I've seen that one firsthand. And by the way, for all of us, our friends on YouTube that are watching this, there is a speck of dust that has been floating around my lens. <laughs> this entire episode this place isn't haunted i just didn't dust it so <laughs> that that's i i can see it as we're recording it dancing around so i don't I think i can see that. it i'm not no, seeing I haven't it, seen it. The, i haven't seen it on the screen so when you watch the playback you will see this this big old fluff just making little <laughs> circles around and i'm like i have to mention this because it's bothered me twice while recording um but getting back to shiny happy people that was a good yet disturbing documentary because yeah. it let everyone in our cultural zeitgeist know about the hijinks that Christian evangelicals are up to in yeah. their quiet little churches along the little hills. Having been raised in one of them, I know what you guys were all up to and I don't <laughs> like it. Yeah, neither do I. Neither do I. What I don't like is that there are members that have power over people mm -hmm. and it, it, it well, really it bothers creatures. me. I've listened to them. They're super charismatic and a lot of politicians sound like those preachers. Yeah. And if you don't know, if you don't have a great sense of self and know something like, for me, it was... I really love the occult and dead things in a really weird way. And that was actually how I got out of it because I would sit there and go, I really love the dead. I love seeing how people react with the dead and mortuary stuff 
all of that was very interesting to me just death culture and that interest was strong enough to lead me out of that yeah. otherwise i would be still in indiana there yeah and uh, it's the preachers can be very very convincing i've had i went on a date with a 30 old 30 year old man when i was 18 oh, and i was yeah. told that i was picked by him because i was mature for all the other girls and it took me a very long time and for me to realize that no it wasn't because i was mature thinking it was because i was over 18 and legal and uh, he wasn't willing to go younger than that and the fact that i was picked for him (laughs) and no it was gross it was super gross i picked an indian restaurant because I really loved Indian food. And he was very bothered by the fact that I chose Indian because they did yoga in India. And I'm like, but yoga is fine. And he had a lot of problems with it. I'm like, "Mm, sir, we're not going to get along. So So, to get on my soapbox about the age difference thing. mm. And again, listening from the true crime, you kind of, you kind of learn about the red flags. Even if you are 25 and your partner is 45 or 50, I still don't think that is a good union. I still think the older person, especially if it's male, is into it for not necessarily good reasons. And those are, and I'm sorry, this is not a blanket statement. I mean, there are relationships that work, but especially 18 to 30, you're trying to control that that person because an 18 year old doesn't know the same things a 30 year old does unless they've lived a completely different life. You know, it just, I don't know. It just, it bothers me. It bothers me. I kind of think people shouldn't get married before they're 30, but you know, that that's my opinion. And feel free to cut that out. I don't want to cause problems. It's just, it bothers me when men want to take advantage of young girls. Or young yeah, it, I got married very young compared to my peers at the young age of 24. Mm-hmm. I, I had friends that did get married right out of high school, mm-hmm. but that was for a different reason. That wasn't a religious one, but um, that I'm aware of. Um, but yeah, that, that entire culture is very oppressive. And yeah. there is a lot of internis, internalized misogyny that happens, which I am going to just from my own life experience, kind of assume that was happening in this cult as well. Mm -hmm. And other ones where women don't realize they're being oppressed because it's all they've ever known. Right. And uh, I've run into that even with some ladies that are out in the secular world, Mm -hmm. but grew up in a similar situation than I did. And we have a lot of internalized misogyny that we're trying to get over ourselves, the structured, like the feeling that I have to make sure that the house is cleaned up and dinner's on the table uh, in time for Mike to get home. And Mike has stopped me before and said, I don't care. It doesn't need to be ready when I get home. I can make it when I get home. You don't have to be the one doing it all. And that was a mind-blowing point of view for me when we um, got married, where I I wasn't responsible for everything. It was a team effort. 
And that was just very new and actually took a lot of stress and anxiety off, which was good. Um, That's I'm the sorry, thing. The pipes are now what you hear. This this house makes a lot of sounds that we're all getting used to. Yeah. Sorry. Um, but if you hear get out, if anyone hears that, let us know. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. the, the warning for our listeners, there is little dude that does walk around here and you will sometimes <laughs> hear it and he does sound like a ghostly child. So. <laughs> He's a real one. Yeah. But uh, um, hi, Clover. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, it uh, just I know, you know, I just watched um a documentary on L Lorena Bobbitt and I had not really known the full story. I mean, I that happened when I was a teenager. I didn't really pay attention to it then. But I, again, young woman, young man, they get married real early. He ends up being abusive and she ends, ends up doing what she did. And and I think she just, you know, you also, women are, are taught to want to be loved and to stay in marriage and love your husband no matter what or whatever. And it just, your relationship needs to be a two-way street. It can't be one-sided. That's all. Oh, yeah. And yeah. definitely um, marriage is not the end game. No. Mm -mm. Marriage is not the end game. That is one that I heard a lot. Yeah. And uh, no, it, like the amount of debt people went into for their weddings mm -hmm. that I know it was just like it's a party that you did after saying some words to one another and signing a piece of paper. Right. You don't need to be going 50, 60, $100,000 in debt for this party. No. You don't need to be. Well, and, it's one thing if you have and, it, but if you don't, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fun party. You know, like I'm, yeah. And if that's what you want to do, guess what? You can do that. But um, I know a lot of people who went to just school just to find we jokingly call them mrs degrees i don't know if yeah i've heard um, it yeah yep and uh that's because that's what they were told to do yeah um not actually get serious degrees not try to seriously change the world in any way just find a husband and hey look if that is your goal and that'll make your life happy by all means if it's for you it's for you but don't do it just because Somebody told you to. Somebody told you to. Yeah. You know, uh, what do I know? I'm single. <laughs> well, you didn't listen so to take it with a grain of salt, pastors, people. So that's fine. It's huh? just, you didn't listen to all those ministers and, and preachers, which is no. fine. You know, though, I still have, you know, my grandma taught me a lot about Christianity and Catholicism when I was growing up, and that still sticks with me, and you know, my mom was raised in that and she switched to Buddhism. So that sticks with me too. And, um, but that, that is the scope of my experience. I was never forced to go to church. You know, I wasn't even forced to make my bed every day. You know, <laughs> you know, my mom was just like, if I asked her about it when I was a kid, I'm like, do you, should, should I go to church? Cause my grandma was telling me you need to go to church and I would go to church with grandma. And, uh, do you want to go to church? Well, I don't know. Well, if you want to, you go. <laughs> that was it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The first time I didn't go to church was when I moved to Japan. Oh, because wow. they don't, in Shintoism and Buddhism, you don't have scheduled 
weekly visits. You don't need to do that. Like the monks will be like, why? Actually, I did have one say, why? (laughs) It's in your heart. You don't need to come to the physical location to do this. Like there's special days. Yes. But you don't have to come. That was mind blowing. The idea that I wasn't, I did not have to go. And it was very liberating going, I, I, I don't have to go. It, 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 I, is, it doesn't have to do with the place. It has to do with the people and yeah. your internal thoughts, not the external ones. That was just crazy to mm-hmm. me and uh, a big learning experience. And thank you, random Buddhist monk, who I can't <laughs> remember what the temple name was, but... It was very nice in explaining that to me. It's just like, here, we don't believe that. And you don't have to do that. And I'm like, wow, this is great. I get my Sundays back. Yeah, exactly. You never had to worry about that again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is really been, everyone's learned a little bit more about all of us today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in unexpected ways. Hey, look, That's true. I, yeah, I just am trying my best to get through every day, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I think everybody I'm, is. You know, I've also, growing up in the 80s and 90s, I've, within these past five years, have realized my own internal misogyny, you Mm -hmm. know, and I've been going back and watching old shows, like I just watched LA Law, Mm -hmm. and it just, the things that were funny then are the things that are not funny now, and the characters you loved (laughs) then, you just want to strangle now. (laughs) You know, and it—I don't know. It just—I'm glad attitudes are changing. Yeah. Sorry, Christina. What? Oh, I said I'm glad attitudes are changing about that stuff. Oh yeah, it's you can't watch old media in the same lens anymore. It's well, and even Murder She Wrote. (laughs) (laughs) But I still love Murder She Wrote. I mean, Angela Lansbury is a goddess. Yeah. Yeah, she is a treasure, but the writers were not always. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're you know though, she was pretty open-minded for the time. She was. I she I'm was. not blaming Angela Lansbury, yeah. but some of the guests that came on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm not blaming them. It's the it's the script they were working with. Yeah. But sometimes they were just like, Really, you're going to just victim blame immediately like that? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you know, things yeah. are pretty well, they, judgmental. They yeah. still did that in the eighties. Yeah. She was she was amazing though. I mean, murder she wrote. She hired a lot of actors okay. so that they could keep their health care, yeah. which was really amazing. And she had many long established relationships in the industry. And I think her whole family worked on that show. Like her son directed, and oh wow! I think her husband worked on it. It was pretty mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was always really neat that she did that for all the other actors, so they can, yeah. like you just See, said, you do the best with what you got. You know, true, and true. I try to learn from the past and mm-hmm. try not to make the same mistakes. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and, and one hopes that that progress will be continued getting getting made. But of course, there is a lot of uh, very disturbing things right now of people fighting back. So hopefully, those forces won't win. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope so too. You know, yeah. another thing with the Lorena Bobbitt thing, which is kind of <laughs> women's rights groups took that opportunity to bring domestic violence to the com- the social commentary and to just let people know about it. And 
and they were hoping to get change made. And I'm like, nothing changed, nothing changed, you know? And that just, it just makes me so sad. And it, even now after the Me Too movement, it is still, it's changing slowly, but I don't know. I just want it to be now. Well, when you think about women weren't even didn't even used to be allowed to have checking accounts or credit cards or whatever in the 70s Ruth Bader Ginsburg yeah um because women before that weren't allowed to have their own accounts oh god no me I would be I would have to live with my sister and her husband or my brother yeah yeah. (laughs) so I so one hopes that things will keep moving forward but there's a lot of crazy people I know I did Mm-hmm. And these cults, they I mean, win. they can't I mean, win. You're always going to have people trying to control other people. Yeah. And well, and you can have also, um, I've also learned that people can control you with um, mental health speak. There's a term for it, you know, like, oh, what you're doing is affecting my mental health. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah, I've read some yeah. articles about that recently because that weaponizing. Was yes, yeah. yeah, weaponizing mental health speak, and mm. I'm like that just takes it to a whole new sin- sinister level. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep, yep, yep. So, well, what so, an episode! Well, that is quite. This has been quite a whiplash episode. Yes, which kind of reminds me for our listeners, if one, if you have any paranormal ghost stories, UFO encounters that you would like to share with us. Please write them in to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com and we will read them with your permission on the episode. But also, if there's locations you would like us to look more into or stories that you would like us to look more into, like we had a listener request earlier this year for Ohio cults, which is one reason why Jen did this episode and highlighted this cult. Um, please email us at the same home haunt. Uh, it's a really long hometown haunted mail there we go um and just with your suggestions and that just helps us create more stories and content that i know that you all want to listen to so with that i guess watch out for owls and yes don't drink the kool-aid yeah have all your rings ready so that uh, on your houses to look for aliens because you could win a million dollars I yeah, can't wait to yeah. see. What I told Troy do we need that. to get ours up again because our we had an Arlo and it stopped working, so we're gonna get a new one that works with okay. our Simply Safe. And I'm like, we have to get that up now. Well, <laughs> what do you think? Though, that's you can catch the say. next Fresno night crawler. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, who knows what we'll see rolling down North Bend? <laughs> On that <laughs> note, <laughs> could be Bigfoot. Could yeah. be the Cincinnati chili monster. Hey, I'm I'm the chili monster. I think that could be a thing. Yeah, (laughs) the chili monster is the thing you see at the end of the visit once you've eaten everything. Anyway, on that note, everyone, (laughs) stay safe, stay hydrated, eat your chili. (laughs) Good night. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.